This is the audio lecture for module four. Let's get right into it. Chapter three, section one, early civilization of India and Pakistan. In the early 1900s, archeologists digging in the Indus River Valley of Pakistan made some startling discoveries. They unearthed bricks, small clay seals, figurines, and other artifacts dissimilar in the style to any they had seen before. The archeologists soon realized they had uncovered a civilization that had flourished 4,500 years earlier. It had not been unknown to the world ever since. The Indus Valley is located in the region known as South Asia or the Indian subcontinent. A subcontinent is a large landmass that juts out from a continent. The Indian subcontinent is a huge peninsula extending into the Indian Ocean. Today, it includes three of the world's ten most populous countries, India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, as well as the island nation of Sri Lanka and the mountainous nations of Nepal and Bhutan. Towering snow-covering mountain ranges mark the northern border of the subcontinent, including the Hindu Kush and the Himalayas. These mountains limited contacts with other lands, leaving India's distinct culture to develop on its own. However, the mountains were not a complete barrier. Steep passes through the Hindu Kush served as gateways to migrating and invading peoples for thousands of years. Natural features define regions. The Indian subcontinent is divided into three major zones, the fertile Gangetic Plain in the north, the dry Deccan Plateau, and the coastal plains of either side of the Deccan. The Gangetic Plain lies just south of the Himalayas. This fertile region is watered by mighty rivers, the Indus, which gives India its name, the Ganges, and the Brahmaputra. This rivers and their tributaries carry melting snow from the mountains to the plains, making agriculture possible. The Deccan is a plateau or raised area of level land that juts into the Indian Ocean. Much of it lacks the melting snows that feed the rivers of the north and provide water for irrigation. As a result, parts are arid, agriculturally unproductive, and sparsely populated. The coastal plains are separated from the Deccan by low-lying mountain ranges, the eastern and western Ghats. Rivers and heavy seasonal rains provide water for farmers. Also, from early times, people in this region used the seas for fishing and as highways for trade. Monsoons affect the climate. As defining feature of life in the Indian subcontinent is the monsoons, or seasonal winds, that regularly blow from certain direction for a part of the year. In October, the winter monsoons blow from the northeast, bringing hot, dry air that withers crops. In mid-June, the summer monsoons blow from the southwest. They pick up moisture over the Indian Ocean and drench the land with downpours. The monsoons have shaped Indian life. Each year, people welcome the rains that are desperately needed to water the crops. If the lanes are late, the rains are late, excuse me, famine and starvation may occur. However, if the rains are too heavy, rushing rivers will unleash deadly floods. Indus civilization rises and falls. About 2600 BC, the earliest South Asian civilization emerged in the Indus River Valley in present-day Pakistan. The Indus civilization flourished for about 700 years. However, only since the 1920s have it once prosperous cities emerged beneath the archaeologists' picks and shovels. Archaeologists have investigated numerous Indus sites. Unfortunately, they have not yet returned up the names of any kings or queens, tax records, literature, or accounts of famous victories. The written remains of Indus civilization are found only rarely, usually on small clay seals that do not include any long passages. 
Still, we do know that the Indus River civilization covered the largest area of any civilization until the rise of Persia more than a thousand years ago. We know, too, that its cities rivaled those of ancient Sumer. Well-planned cities reveal organized government. Archaeologists' investigations in recent years have led them to believe that at least five large cities have been prominent during the course of the civilization's history. A few hundred smaller sites have been studied. Since their discovery in the 1920s, the Indus cities of Harappa and Mohan, uh, Mohenjo-Daro have been considered possible twin capitals of the civilization, or cities that ruled the area one after the other. Both were large, some three miles in circumference. Each was dominated by a massive hilltop structure whose exact purpose is still unknown. Each city has included a huge warehouse used for storage. A notable feature of the Mohen Jodara and a few smaller sites is how carefully planned they were. The Mohenjan Dahara was laid out in an organized pattern with long, wide streets and a large rectangular blocks. Most of its houses were built with baked clay bricks of a standard size. At Harappa and other Indus sites, mud and unbraked bricks were also common building materials. In addition, Indus houses had complex plumbing systems with baths, drains, and water chutes that led into sewers beneath the streets. Indus merchants used a uniform system of weights and measures. From such evidence, archaeologists have concluded that these Indus cities have a well-organized government, making a living by farming and trading. As in earlier civilizations, most people living in the Indus civilization were farmers. They grew a wide variety of crops, including wheat, barley, melons, and dates. They also have had been the first people to cultivate cotton and weave its fibers into cloth. Some people were merchants and traders. Their ships carried cargoes of cotton cloth, grain, copper, pearls, and ivory combs to distant lands. By hugging the coast of the Arabian Sea and the sailing of the Persian Gulf, Indian, Indus vessels reached the cities of Sumer. Scholars think that this contact with Sumer may have prompted the people of the Indus Valley to develop their own system of writing. However, the Indus writing system is unique, showing no relationship to the Sumerian cuneiform. Religious beliefs develop. From clues such as statues and images on small clay steels, archaeologists have speculated about the religious beliefs of Indus people. Many think that, like other ancient peoples, the peoples of the Indus were polytheistic. A mother goddess, the source of creation, seems to be widely honored, as perhaps was a leading male god. Indus people also seem to have viewed certain animals as sacred, including the buffalo and the bull. Some scholars think these early practices influenced later Indian beliefs, especially the veneration of or special regard for cattle. Indus civilization declines. By 1900 BC, the quality of life in the Indus Valley was declining. Crude pottery replaced the finer works of earlier days. The use of writing halted. Mohanjandaro was entirely abandoned. The population of other Indus cities and towns also dwindled to small numbers. Scholars do not know for sure what happened to the Indus civilization, but they have offered several explanations for its decline. Though they once thought that invaders attacked and overran the cities of the Indus, but this now seems unlikely. Some suggest that damage to the local environment was a factor. Possibly too many trees were cut down to fuel the ovens of brickmakers. Tons of rivers, mud found in the streets of Mohenjo-Daro suggest a major flood. Other evidence points to the devastating earthquake. Today, scholars think that some of these events may have worked together to bring an end to the Indus civilization. Aryan civilization develops the Vedic age.
During the centuries between 2000 BC and 1500 BC, waves of nomadic peoples migrated slowly with their herds of cattle and horses from Central Asia. They traveled through the mountain passes into northwestern India. These nomads belonged to one of many groups of speakers of Indo-European languages who migrated across Europe and Asia. The nomads intermarried with peoples to form a group who called themselves Aryans. Through acculturation, or the blending of two cultures, the Aryans combined the cultural traditions of the nomads and those of earlier Indian peoples. The early Aryans in India built no cities and left very little archaeological evidence. Most of what we know about them comes from the Vedas, a collection of hymns, chants, ritual instructions, and other religious teachings. Aryan priests memorized and recited the Vedas for thousands of years before they ever wrote down these sacred teachings. This period from 1500 BC to 500 BC is often called the Vedic Age. In the Vedas, the Aryans appear as warriors who fought in chariots with bows and arrows. They loved food, drink, music, chariot races, and dice games. These nomadic herders valued cattle, which provided them with food and clothing. Later, when they became settled farmers, families continued to measure their wealth in cows and bulls. Gradually, the Aryans gave up their nomadic ways and settled into villages to cultivate crops and breeding cattle. From local farmers, the Aryans learned to raise crops. They also looked up other skilled crafts. In time, the Aryans spread eastward to colonize the heavily fo uh, forested Ganges Basin. But by 800 BC, they learned to make tools out of iron. Equipped with iron axes and weapons, restless pioneers carved farms and villages out of the rainforests of the northeast. Aryan tribes were led by chiefs who were called Rajas. Raja, who was often the most skilled war leader, had been elected to his position by an assembly of warriors. As he ruled, he considered the advice of council of elders made up the heads of families. Rajas often fought with one another to control trade and territory across the Gangetic Plain. Some Rajas became powerful hereditary rulers, extending their influence over many villages. From the Vedas, we learn that the Aryans divide their society into ranked groups based on occupation. The highest group was made up of the Brahmins, B-R-A-H-M-I-N-S, or priests. Next came the Kshatriyas, the K-S-H-A-T-R-I-Y-A-S, or warriors. The third group, the Visyas, or V-A-I-S-Y-A-S, included herders, farmers, artisans, and merchants. The Aryans separated people who had little or no Aryan heritage into a fourth group, the Sudras, S-U-D-R-A-S. This group included farm workers, servants, and other laborers. The lowest social group, the Dalits, the D-A-L-I-T-S, was considered outside of the caste system. These people did not work that uh, these people did work that others did, wouldn't, such as making leather from animal skins. The Aryans were polytheistic. They worshipped gods and goddesses who embodied natural forces such as sky, sun, storm, and fire. The chief Aryan deity was fierce Indra, the god of war. Indra's weapon was the thunderbolt, which he used not only to destroy demons, but also to announce the arrival of rain, so vital to Indian life. Other major gods included Varuna, V-A-R-U-N-A, the god of order and creation, and Agni, A-G-N-I, the god of fire, and the messenger who communicated human wishes to the gods. The Aryans also honored animal deities such as monkey and snake gods. Brahmins offered sacrifices of food and drink to the gods. 
Through the correct rituals and prayers, the Aryans believed they could call on the gods for health, wealth, and victory in war. As the lives of the Aryans changed, so too did their beliefs. Some religious thinkers were moved toward the notion of Brahman, B-R-A-H-M-A-N, a single spiritual power that existed beyond the many gods of the Vedas and that resided in all things. There was also a move toward mysticism. Mystics are people who seek direct communion with divine forces. Aryan mystics practiced meditation and yoga, spiritual and bodily disciplines designed to enhance the attempt to achieve direct contact with the divine. The religions that emerged in India after the Vedic age were influenced by both mysticism and the notion of Brahman. By 500 BC, Indian civilization consisted of many rival kingdoms. Archaeologists have learned that cities were growing rapidly at this time as people left the countryside to practice skilled crafts. By this time, too, the written language, Sanskrit, S-A-N-S-K-R-I-T, that priests had used to write sacred texts, began to flourish in literary usage. The Aryans maintained a strong oral tradition as well. They continued to memorize and recite ancient hymns, as well as two long epic poems, the Mahabharata, which is spelled M-A-H-A-B-H-A-R-A-T-A, and Ramayana, which is spelled R-A-M-A-Y-A-N-A. Like the Sumerian epic of Ginglamesh, the Indian epics mix history, mythology, adventure, as well as religion. The Mahabharata is India's greatest epic. Through its early, nearly 100,000 verses, we hear echoes of the battles that rival Aryan tribes fought to gain control of the Ganges River uh, and region. Five royal brothers, the Pandavas, P-A-N-D-A-V-A-S, lose their kingdom to their cousins. After a great battle that lasts 18 days, the Pandavas regain their kingdom and restore peace to India. One episode, a lengthy poem known as the Bhagavad Gita, B-H-A-G-A-V-A-D-G-I-T-A, reflects important Indian religious beliefs about the immortality of the soul and the value of reforming one's duty. In its verses, the god Krishna, K-R-I-S-H-N-A, instructs Prince Arjuna, A-R-G-U-N-A, on the importance of duty over personal desires and ambitions. The Ramayana is much shorter but equally memorable. It recounts the fantastic deeds of the daring hero Rama and his beautiful bride Sita, S-I-T-A. Early on, Sita is kidnapped by a demon king, Ravana, R-A-V-A-N-A. The rest of the story tells how Rama finally rescues Sita with the aid of the monkey general Hanuman, H-A-N-U-M-A-N. Like the Aryan religion, these epics evolved over thousands of years. Priest poets added new morals to the tales to teach different lessons. For example, they pointed to Rama as a model of virtue or an ideal king. Likewise, Sita came to be honored as an ideal woman who remained loyal and obedient to her husband through many hardships. Chapter 3, Section 2, Hinduism and Buddhism. Thousands of years ago, two major religions, Hinduism and Buddhism, emerged in ancient India. The ethical and spiritual messages of both religions profoundly shaped Indian civilization. Unlike most major religions, Hinduism has no single founder and no single sacred text. 
Instead, it grew out of the overlapping beliefs of the diverse groups who settled in India. The process probably began when the Aryans added the gods of the Indus civilization to their own. Later, people brought other gods, beliefs, and practices. As a result, Hinduism became one of the world's most complex religions, with countless gods and goddesses and many forms of worship ex existing side by side. Despite this diversity, all Hindus share certain basic beliefs. God is one, but wise people know it by many names. End quote. This ancient proverb reflects the Hindu belief that everything is part of an unchanging, all-powerful spiritual force called Brahman, B-R-A-H-M-A-N. Hindus worship a variety of gods who give concrete form to Brahman. The most important Hindu gods are Brahma, B-R-A-H-M-A, the creator, Vishnu, V-I-S-H-N-U, the preserver, and Shiva, S-H-I-V-A, the destroyer. Each can take many forms, human or animal, to represent the various aspects of Brahman which he is associated. Some Hindus also worship various forms of the powerful goddesses Shakti, S-H-A-K-T-I. She is both kind and cruel, a creator and destroyer. Over many hundreds of years, Hindu teachings were recorded in the sacred texts of the Vedas. The Upanishads, U-P-A-N-I-S-H-A-D-S, are a section of the Vedas that address mystical questions related to Hinduism. These sacred texts are vivid images to examine complex ideas about the human soul and the connectedness of all life. In addition, literary works such as the Bhagavad Gita were also revered by their representation of Hindu beliefs. To Hindus, every person has an essential self, or Atman, A-T-M-A-N. Some view it as the same as Brahman, and others as a form of Brahman. The ultimate goal of existence, Hindus believe, is achieving moksha, M-O-K-S-H-A, or union with Brahman. To do that, individuals must free themselves from selfish desires that separate them from Brahman. Most people cannot achieve moksha in one lifetime, but Hindus believe in reincarnation, or the rebirth of the soul in another bodily form. Reincarnation allows people to continue working toward moksha through several lifetimes. In each existence, Hindus believe, a person can come closer to achieving moksha by obeying the law of karma, K-A-R-M-A. Karma refers to all the actions of a person's life that affect his or her fate in the next life. To Hindus, all existence is ranked. Humans are closest to Brahman. Then come animals, plants, and objects like rocks or water. People who live virtuously earn good karma and are reborn at a higher level of existence. Those who do evil acquire bad karma and are reborn into suffering at a lower level of existence. In Indian art, this cycle of death and rebirth is symbolized by the image of the wheel. To escape the wheel of fate, Hinduism stresses the importance of dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, the religious and moral duties of an individual. These duties vary according to class, occupation, gender, and age. Another key moral principle of Hinduism is ahizma, A-H-I-M-S-A, or nonviolence. 
To Hindus, all people and things are aspects of Brahman and therefore deserve to be respected. Many Hindus try to follow the path of Ahisma. Jainism develops from Hinduism. About 500 BC, the teacher Mahavira, M-A-H-A-V-I-R-A, founded Jainism, a religion that grew out of Hindu traditions and that is still practiced today. Maharaiva rejected the idea that Brahmin priests alone could perform certain sacred rites. Jain teachings emphasize meditation, self-denial, and extreme form of ahisma. To avoid accidentally killing a living thing, even an insect, Jains carry brooms to sweep the ground in front of their free feet. The Aryans divided society into four groups. Non-Aryans held the lowest jobs. During the Vedic age, class divisions moved more toward reflecting social and economic roles than ethnic differences between Aryans and non-Aryans. As these changes occurred, they led to a more complex system of castes, C-A-S-T-E-S, or social groups into which people are born and which can rarely be changed. The caste or caste was closely linked to Hindu beliefs. To Hindus, people in, dif in different castes were different species of beings. A high caste Brahmin, for example, was purer and therefore closer to moksha than someone from a lower caste. To ensure spiritual purity, a web of complex caste rules governed every aspect of life. For example, where people lived, what they ate, how they dressed, and how they earned a living. Rules forbade marrying outside one's caste or eating with members of another caste. High caste people had the strictest rules to protect them from the spiritually polluted or impure lower castes. Because they had jobs such as digging graves, cleaning streets, or turning animal hides into leather, some people were considered so impure that they were called untouchables. For the untouchables, today called Dalits, life was harsh and restricted. Other castes feared that contact with an untouchable could spread pollution. Untouchables had to live apart and to sound a wooden instrument called a clapper to warn of their approach. Despite its inequalities, castes ensured a, so a stable social order. People believed that the law of karma determined their caste. While they could not change their status in this life, they could reach a higher state in a future life by faithfully fulfilling the duties of their present caste. The caste system gave many people a sense of identity and interdependence. Each caste had its own occupation and its own leaders. Caste members cooperated to help one another. In addition, each caste had its own special role in Indian society as a whole. Although strictly separated, different castes depending on one another for their basic needs. A lower caste carpenter, for example, built the home of a higher caste scholar. The caste system also adapted to changing conditions. Over time, many additional castes and subcastes evolved. As people migrated into the subcontinent, they formed new castes. Other castes grew out of new occupations and religions. This flexibility allowed people with diverse customs to live side by side in relative harmony. By modern times, there were thousands of major castes and subcastes. The Key Teachings of Buddha In the foothills of the Himalayas, a reformer appeared named Siddhartha Gautama. S-I-D-D-H-A-R-T-H-A, another word, G-A-U-T-A-M-A. -A. His teachings eventually spread across Asia to become the core beliefs of one of the world's most influential religions, Buddhism. 
Guadama's early life is mostly through various religious writings and literature. He was born a prince about 563 BC. According to tradition, his mother dreamed that a radiant white elephant descended to her from heaven. Signs such as this led a prophet to predict that the boy would someday become a wandering holy man. To prevent that, in hopes of his son one day becoming a ruler, Guadama's father kept him in the family palaces, surrounded by comfort and luxury. At age 16, Guadama married a beautiful woman and enjoyed a happy life. But at age 29, Guadama's life changed. One day, he took a ride beyond the palace gardens and saw an old man. On following rides, he also saw a sick person and a dead body. For the first time, Guadama became aware of human suffering. Deeply disturbed, he bade farewell to his family and left the palace never to return. He set out to discover, quote, the realm of life where there is neither suffering nor death, end quote. Guadama wandered for years, seeking answers from Hindu scholars and holy men whose ideas failed to satisfy him. He fasted and meditated. At some point, he took a seat under a large tree, determined to stay there until he understood the mystery of life. Throughout the night, legend tells, evil spirits tempted Guadama to give up his meditations, but he fended them off. When he rose, he believed he understood the cause and cure for suffering and sorrow. He was no longer Guadama. He had become the Buddha, or, quote, the enlightened one, end quote, following the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha spent the rest of his life teaching others what he had learned. In his first sermon after reaching enlightenment, he explained the Four Noble Truths that lie at the heart of Buddhism. One, all life is full of suffering, pain, and sorrow. Two, the cause of suffering is non-virtue, or negative deeds and mindsets such as hatred and desire. Three, the only cure for suffering is to overcome non-virtue. Four, the way to overcome non-virtue is to follow the Eightfold Path. The Buddha described the Eightfold Path as, quote, right views, right aspirations, right speech, right conduct, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right contemplation, end quote. The first two steps involved understanding the Four Noble Truths and committing oneself to the Eightfold Path. Next, a person had to live a moral life, avoiding evil words and actions. Through meditation, a person might at last achieve enlightenment. For the Buddhists, the final goal is nirvana, N-I-R-V-A-N-A, or union with the universe and release from the cycle of rebirth. The Buddha saw the Eightfold Path as a middle way between a life devoted to pleasure and one based on harsh self-denial. He stressed moral principles such as honesty, charity, and kindness to all living creatures. Comparing Buddhism and Hinduism Buddhism grew from the same traditions as Hinduism. Both Hindus and Buddhists stressed nonviolence and believed in karma, dharma, and the cycle of rebirth. Yet the religions differ in several ways. Instead of focusing on priests, formal rituals, and many gods of Hinduism, the Buddha urged each person to seek enlightenment through meditation. Buddhists also reject the caste system, offering the hope of nirvana to all regardless of birth. The Buddha attracted many disciples or followers who accompanied him as he preached across northern India. Many men and women who accepted the Buddha's teachings set up monasteries and convents for meditation and study. Some Buddhist monasteries grew into major centers of learning. Legend holds that at age 80, the Buddha ate spoiled food. As he lay dying, he told his disciples, quote, 
Decay is inherent in all things. Work out your own salvation with diligence. End quote. After the Buddha's death, his followers collected his teachings into the Tripitaka, or, quote, three baskets of wisdom, end quote. One of the baskets included sayings like this one, which echoes the Hindu emphasis on duty, quote, let a man, after he has discerned his own duty, be always attentive to his duty, end quote. Other sayings give the Buddha's version of the golden rule, quote, overcome anger by not growing angry, overcome evil with good, overcome the liar by truth, end quote. Missionaries and traders spread Buddhism across India to many parts of Asia. Gradually, Buddhism split into two major sects, or subgroups. These were the Theravada, T-H-E-R-A-V-A-D-A, -A -A, Buddhism, and Maharana, M-A-H-A-Y-A-N-A, -A Buddhism. Theravada Buddhism closely followed the Buddha's original teachings. It required a life devoted to hard spiritual work. Only the most dedicated seekers, such as monks and nuns, could hope to teach nirvana. The Theravada sect spread to Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia. The Mahayana sect made Buddhism easier for ordinary people to follow. Even though the Buddha had forbidden followers to worship him, the Mahayana Buddhists pictured him and other holy beings as compassionate gods. People turned to these gods for help in solving daily problems as well as achieving salvation. While the Buddha had said little about the nature of nirvana, the Mahayana Buddhists described an afterlife filled with many heavens and hells. The Mahayana Buddhism spread to China, Tibet, Korea, and Japan. Although Buddhism took firm root across Asia, it slowly declined in India. Hinduism eventually absorbed some Buddhist ideas and made room for Buddha as another Hindu god. A few Buddhist centers survived until the 1100s when they fell to Muslim armies that invaded India.